Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keith. Enjoyed today by Harry Brent as we talk through another busy weekend of football. And Harry, despite the fact that there was no Premier League football at the weekend, is the Premier League where we're going to start going to bed Sunday night, kind of half planning this show and kind of thinking, oh, okay, what order do I put stuff in? You know, we'll probably lead off in England. We'll probably talk about how well they're doing, which we will come on to later on in the show. Um, but then wake up this morning to the news that Antonio Conte was sacked uh, late last night, half 10 when the news came out to Tottenham, has been sacked. I suppose first and first, it's not really unexpected though, is it? You know, how, how we spoke after the game uh, against Southampton, we were kind of almost expecting it. Uh, you know, definitely last week, I think we were kind of almost waiting and expecting for the news to come through. Eventually it did come through on, on Sunday night late. So there isn't, it was kind of a sense of inevitability really, despite the timing. hundred percent. I mean, I think Tottenham felt backed into a corner by that press conference and it was only going to go one way. I'm almost surprised that it took as long as it did to get to to get the news that he was that he was gone really, um, but you know I, I think I think ultimately it was it, you know it was the right decision. I think once once that sort of those sorts of comments were made, that you can't really continue with the book with 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 the with the guy who's who's saying them. So uh, you know I think Tom made made the right call in the end. And in terms of what this means now for Tottenham as well, um, you know to to bring in there was this high expectations around the club when when Conte joined, gets the Champions League in his first season. They made some big names, well, you know, one or two big names on it and, and spent a fair bit of money last summer. And, you know, it sounds weird. They are still in the top four, but it's the the kind of means by which they've got there, I think, isn't it? That, that is the cause for concern. That has been the cause for concern. The football hasn't been perhaps in line with what fans were expecting. But equally then, when you get a winner in like Conte and it's still not clicking, it, it does kind of suggest that there's there's kind of worries that that run fairly deep at Tottenham. You know, we're not just talking about the board, but perhaps throughout the whole club that a known winner like Conte, and equally, you know, going back to when Jose Mourinho was in charge of the club as well, a known winner like himself. These two men have have glittering trophy cabinets uh, and and will be regarded as as two of the best managers of their generations, and they still weren't able to get a tune out of Tottenham. It does kind of perhaps sound one or two alarm bells. I think it does. I, I think. You know, there's definitely a sense that some sort of some of the blame needs to be pointed at the players, and 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 the squad needs to be taken. And and you could even argue that some of what Conte was saying in his Southampton press conference, criticizing the kind of mentality of of the team historically, that there's there's some merit to that. But you know, on on the flip side of it, I I, I almost wonder whether, and hindsight's twenty twenty, but I almost wonder whether Conte was the right fit for for Tottenham generally. I mean, he's given his, his sort of combative style, he has a history of falling out with people. He doesn't tend to spend too long in, in, in jobs. I don't think when he was hired, Tottenham were in a position to achieve, let's say, Premier League title success within a year or two years, which is what, you know, that's generally what he's brought in for to achieve things immediately. Ditto Jose Mourinho. And I, I, don't, I, I, think, I almost think with both of those situations, you're right in saying that they're, they're, you know, elite winning managers who were brought in for success, but I'm not sure either of them were the right choices, you know, for Tottenham at that time. I think you needed somebody to kind of bridge the gap between, the, you know, where Tottenham were and the very top top teams. So in some ways, he's a victim of of, of, of circumstance. It's, it's, it, was, it was never likely to, you know, achieve success. But um, 
but no, I, I do. I do think you make a good point about the way you know that the fans haven't been haven't been pleased with 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 the football. I mean, obviously, I know you're a, a, a Tottenham fan. I, I, you may you may know better than me, but I, I can't think of many games seeing Conte's time where Tottenham have blown people away. I mean, there's, there have been a couple of occasions. I remember a couple of games against Manchester City. I think last season it was where there was some particularly good performances, and I'm not saying that they haven't occurred, but and also Tottenham have been getting results which I guess is a good sign of you know if you can get results without performances that's a good sign but I, I was struck by the fact that there weren't that many absolute fantastic wow performances yeah it does kind of lead to the question marks about you know whether or not he kind of clicked the players and whatnot but you know I, I, I the the kind of point about the the style of football for me personally I couldn't care less how they play as long as they win I don't know you know I'm uh, history is never, you know, when you look back at the history books, it doesn't say, oh yeah, they played with a low block and they played really defensively, but they won 1-0. No, history just says that they won 1-0. Um, and, you know, that famous Chelsea team, 2004-05, and, and the lack of goals that they scored, yes, they were probably a little bit more attacking than Spurs were as well, but you look at the defensive solidity that, that their title was built on, that's what wins your titles, really, is defensive solidity. So yes, if we had to forego that. Um, but of course, when results don't, come and you aren't playing the, the kind of style of football and of course that's when the question marks start getting raised and perhaps fans then kind of start thinking that we should be attacking a bit more um, but yeah I, ju- I just think we're a mess at the minute personally and I'm, and I'm sure regular listeners will know that anyway that this was before Conte got so, so before his his, his um, uh, press conference at Southampton that I thought we were in a mess and we're in a massive mess now um, the, the big big crossroads for the club for sure need to decide you know as you said that two managers in, in recent history that have brought in that have been brought into the club that are not you know kind of to an extent instant win managers guys you know in Mourinho and Conte that you kind of expect that you don't necessarily have these long term visions of successful but it's kind of here and now and what you get and it seems bizarre it seems I think you know kind of is it is it you know delusion you know are we delusional in that sense that we think that these managers can come in and instantly turn us into title winners because we're that far behind and you can and again, I know it sounds weird because I'm saying this when we're in the top four and Chelsea are languishing down in 10th and Liverpool aren't having the best of seasons. And it sounds bizarre, but we are actually quite far adrift, I think, of the, like, those levels. The, the, the potential, at least, of, of Chelsea, I think, and, and definitely for Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool will be as bad next season as they are this year. So we have to kind of, you know, drill it all back, look back at it. Why are Brighton succeeding so well? Can we have a look at their recruitment model? I think our recruitment models are dreadful as well. I don't think... You know, I think the academy has been poor. You know, aside from Harry Kane, who else has we come through? You look across the other side of North London, Saka, Inketia, Smith Rowe, all in this Arsenal side that is going to win the title probably this season. Who have we had since Harry Kane? We've had Harry Winks. You know, in between Ledley King and Harry Kane, who do we have? We had Andros Townsend and Jamie O'Hara. So it isn't just here and now that this academy has been a problem. It's been a problem for years and it's not been addressed. So big, big issues on the recruitment side. We just need to work out where we want to be as a club. I think we have to accept that it's going to be a long haul back to, or a long haul, not even back. I'm, I'm saying it as if we've won titles in the past, we haven't. It's going to be a long haul to get to where fans potentially believe we should be with the stadium that we've got and the infrastructure that we've got. A big rebuild is coming, whether or not that sees big names like, you know, I would like to see Hugo Lloris move on. I don't think he's been at his best for Tottenham in recent seasons in the summer. Perhaps Harry Kane does have to move on as well so that it kind of releases that burden of being the Harry Kane team and actually other players think that they have to stand up and be counted a bit more rather than, oh, just give the ball to Harry and he'll do something special. Um, a big, big reset is needed for Tottenham um, in the summer. That, that's my point anyway. And I suppose on the point of resets, it, it then brings us nicely onto the case of 
who should be the next manager for Tottenham and who you, sh- who you think should be in charge. You know, Christian Stellini, I think, is an interesting one as given um, that he's been a Conte lieutenant, that he's going to be in charge at least now until the end of the season. That, that's what the statement said. You know, of course, there are a few managers, a few names linked to the job that are available at the minute. Where do you think Spurs will look next, Harry? And where should they look next? Well, the big two names obviously being banded about at the moment of Rizzo Pochettino and then given his blind sacking, Julian Nagelsmann. Um, and to be honest, I don't think that you can look, that's a pretty good shortlist if you're going to, if, if ever you're going to have one. I think, I think any club in the world would be happy with, with, uh, with having those two at the top of it. Um, so I don't, I doubt Tottenham will look further than those two if they can, if they can get, get their hands on one of them. Um, the, the, the whole going back to Pochettino thing is interesting because I, I'm personally have a sort of view of, you know, the notion of never going back is quite important. Um, you know, I, there's very few times, particularly with man, you know, in terms of managers where it works at, at, at big teams. Um, so I think that would be important for Tottenham to remember. Obviously, it's been nine years since Pochettino. I think it's been nine years since he was first hired, which is a long, it's, you know, it's a long time for, you know, it's, it's given the sort of shelf life of managers at the very top. It, there's a, you could even argue, well, Pochettino, you could argue, this is not to say that Pochettino is a, is a spent force, but that his time at the very top is is either coming to an end or or possibly not, not, not sort of uh, going to be there for very long. So there is a sort of, I, I think Tottenham need to be wary of that, but... On the flip side of that, there is a there is a connection that he and Tottenham have, which I think is quite rare and sort of unparalleled. And you know, I do think that there's a, there is a sense that if let's say Tottenham hired Pochettino in the summer, and um, you know, as as you talked about, there is a bit of a need for a not just a rebuild, but even a kind of club restructuring, if if that's if that's so. Pochettino is one of very few managers who I think the fans would would say, look, we're going to give you room to fail. It doesn't matter if you don't get it right immediately. If they hired somebody else, you know, Nilesman or, or, you know, somebody with less sort of prestige about them, I'm not sure they, they'd have have so much patience. So I think there is there is a sense that Pochettino could be the could be the right man. But I do understand that there is a kind of need to to look to look elsewhere. And obviously you've got Julian Nilesman now on the on the market and um Tottenham need long-term planning and Nagelsmann is I know he's he's not spent a huge amount of time obviously only a couple of years that were not not even that at Bayern and, and Ditto at Leipzig but I do think he has the sort of makings of somebody who could really be be there for a long time and build and plan and do all this stuff so um if you if you're gonna if you're gonna push me I would probably just 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 to be sure about whether it was the right just to make just to sort of work out whether sacking him was wrong or not I would go back to Pochettino if I was Tottenham but I don't know about you what what what, what do you think is the right thing for Spurs I think if we go back for Pochettino we might as well bring Deli Ali back from Turkey and ask Danny Rose what he's up to as well quite frankly you know that's kind of um do I think it was wrong to sack him at the time probably would I go back to him now absolutely not um you know I think again what I said previously about this whole idea about, you know, with a Harry Kane team. And I think we kind of feel sorry for ourselves and there's a comfort blanket around the players. And I think if you bring back Pochettino, and so, you know, there's not that many left, you know, if we were to get rid of Hugo Lloris and some of you probably looking at Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, Harry Kane, and Hume Song as, as kind of those kind of key players that that remain from, from Pochettino's time. But I still think that that kind of just gives those players like a comfort blanket again. Um, I think we're soft. I think we have become a, a soft team. I don't think we're hard enough. I'm not saying that Nagelsmann's going to make us into Vinnie Jones overnight, but I think he doesn't bring that comfort blanket with comfort blanket with him that perhaps the return of Pochettino would for certain players in this team. Um, I think there's a big culture 
change needed at Spurs. And I think, you know, kind of going back to Pochettino, I just don't think it's right. And it didn't work out for him at, at you know, Paris Saint-Germain. Yes, he finally won trophies. Well done. Congratulations. But he still couldn't get, and I know I'm saying this, lots of other managers have not been able to get a tune at Paris Saint-Germain in European competition. Um, so again, you know, they're a club that have issues that probably run deeper than the first team and the manager, like much like Tottenham do. But I just don't, I just don't think, you know, as you said there, going back as a football manager, it, it rarely works out. And I think that's the, the issue for Tottenham as well. Do you think Pochettino had a, had a hand in establishing this, as you sort of described it, mentality sort of comfort problem with, with, with Tottenham? Or do you think that it was just, a, it was sort of caused by the fact that he created such a kind of nice environment? Um, I think I think it's kind of in terms of his ability to make him feel like underdogs, um, you know, and kind of that siege mentality, and he probably built that into the team. And it starts off well, and it starts off nice, but then after a while, it kind of oh yeah, yeah well we're not expected to do this, and it's like but we need to be expected to do it to take that next step. We are the lowest team in that top six. There is no you know fighting about it. If Newcastle are to knock someone out of the top six, it is us, and that the kind of and I think the players believe that as well, but the players need to stop believing that. There was, you know, so many seasons in a row where we would finish in the top four constantly above Man United, constantly above Arsenal. And yet still, we just didn't have that extra kind of 10% belief to go on and, and win trophies. You know, look at how many stupid exits we've had in the FA Cup, the League Cup in recent years. You know, even under Conte, admittedly, you know, how it you know how it ended up in the end of going out of the conference league because we couldn't field a team because of COVID. You look at that and you kind of go, oh well, it's not their fault. When actually we lost to a team in I think it was Slovenia, wasn't it? Um, you know we lost to we lost to Minos from Slovenia, and winning that game and we would have been through in the conference league. And the conference league is not a you know it's not something that every player goes, oh I dream of winning that when I grow up. It's a trophy to win nonetheless, and the first trophy gets you that next one. Likewise, you know the amount of times. I, I, you know, I might be in the minority here as a Tottenham fan, but there are times that I kind of think, you know, would dropping into the Europa League or would have qualified for the Europa League been a, would have been a bad thing. You know, again, we might have gone deep in that competition. Again, we might have won, you know, might have won it. You know, and again, that kind of breeds that success. I, it's just a, you know, I think yes. To to kind of answer the question in short, I think Pochettino, the way that he set the team up and this idea that we were kind of underdogs and we were disrupting it at the time. Started off great, but we kept believing that, and we didn't kind of go, okay, now we've proved ourselves. Let's go to the next level. Um, and it sounds bizarre because yes, he did take Tottenham to the Champions League final, but that was a fluke. Let's be honest here; like that was, you know, I, against Manchester City, we should have gone out, should have gone out against Ajax as well. Probably a, a more experienced European side we've we've seen to us in that second leg. Um, and yeah, the, the performance in the final, obviously, you know, the early penalty, I think, kind of put their hex on that one, and and that was that game gone. But I would have. Personally, I would have even sat Pochettino the, the summer before we got to the Champions League final thinking back to it. And again, you know, be, what do you mean? Why would you have sat him? But I think we'd got to that point already. I think we'd hit that ceiling in 2018. Um, and yeah, we, you know, got to the Champions League final fairly fortuitously. I think made the, you, know, you make your own luck, but I think we got there through a big slice of luck. Um, and I don't know if he's, you know, I know it's a big rebuild. Has he got the energy as well? I think that's a big crucial question as well for Pochettino to come back. Um, yeah, I I would prefer Nagels were over over Pochettino. Um, but again, you know that's kind of you know that's if Mister Nagelsman would would fancy coming to such a basket case club at the moment.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For sure, you know, interesting, interesting times at Tottenham. And I think, you know, over the coming days, we're sure to see plenty more uh, from Spurs, Harry. But I think for now, that's enough of a therapy session for me. And I'm sure to have plenty more therapy sessions, I think, before the season's out, unfortunately. Um, speaking about happier times and, and probably using Harry Kane as a loving little segue um, as well. His club, it might be in a mess, but I think England, we can we can safely say, look very much on the road uh, to qualifying for the Euros next summer in Germany. Uh, victories against Italy and Ukraine leave England very much in control of their group. Um, of course, the next matches are against North Macedonia and Malta in the summer, but six points from six, I think every single England fan would have taken that. Um, and especially being away to Italy, that first game, winning that game, laid down such a marker and then to back it up with another victory against Ukraine. It was a, a very, very good international window for England. It was. And uh, yeah, as you say, the absolute perfect start we could have made, certainly on paper, beating certainly the, the, the our toughest opponents and arguably our second toughest opponents. I think, you know, mentally that's, that's put ourselves in such a good sort of state, particularly given the way that the World Cup ended. I know it was, we weren't, you know, it wasn't the most embarrassing way to go out against France, but there was a bit sense of deflation. So I think it's it's exactly the way that that Southgate would have wanted his team to react. Um, I am caught in two minds with it, though, really, because as you say, the, the the victory against Italy was, um, you know, particularly to do it in Italy as well. And and we, you know, England haven't won there for I forget the figure, but it's decades. And um, and Italy haven't lost a competitive game in, in Italy for a long time as well. So. There's no sort of, I don't want to downplay the the, the results as well. But I, I do think there is a sense that the way the you know that the, there's a kind of growing trend with with whenever Southgate's teams come up against good opponents, which is that, you know, we tend to start quite brightly, fall away, and then get a little bit either tactically or mentally outmaneuvered. And, you know, there's no shame in in, you know, sort of grinding out a, a, a big away away result as we did and, and the fact that they got they got the result over the line was 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 definitely respectable. But I you know I do sort of think without the red card, which you know was only for the last 10 minutes, I think without the red card that would have looked like a bit of a kind of oh blimey we were holding on there. And on paper, as much as again I don't want to try and say that oh we should just expect to beat Italy away all the time. It's silly to because five years ago we'd have never been saying this. But I do think there is a sense that England are at a stage now where if we do want to think about winning stuff, we need to be beating teams like Italy, who are not the strongest on paper. I know they're the European champions, but they're not the strongest on paper. We do need to be beating them a little bit more comfortably. So I, so I do think there is a sense of something missing. But saying that, as you said, a, a brilliant start on paper. And I think psychologically, that's going to do a hell of a lot, just going into the next few fixtures and and uh, and everything. And so, yeah, I think um, a good, a very good start. Yeah, t- tactics is an interesting one, um, and especially more so, I think, in the Ukraine game as well. Um, you know, I think Southgate is, and I think I've said this on the show previously, Southgate is inherently defensive, and I think that cost England. I think we could all agree that cost England in the Euro 2020 final, um, in that, you know, not attacking them after getting that early goal and kind of uh, putting a kind of, you know, foot on the neck and, and making sure they didn't get up from it, I think was a, was a missed opportunity for sure. But definitely against Ukraine as well. And, and we've seen this time and time again with England. I think we saw it against the USA in the World Cup. 
against defensive sides, it takes them a hell of a long time to work out that actually passing the ball quite quickly might be the way through them. You know, we they, they, they didn't seem to work that out much against the USA throwing it back to the World Cup. Thankfully, they did for two goals in about a five-minute period against Ukraine. Um, but these are those, you know, again, as you say there, the England now, there is this expectation that they are one of the better sides in Europe, that they are perhaps should be in the discussion for who's going to win the Euros next summer, should be going deep, looking at a, a deep run, especially, you know, starting qualifying so so nicely. But when they come up against these, you know, more defensive sides, you know, I'm not saying Ukraine only came for a point, but a point would have been a very good result for Ukraine. And I think in their battle with Italy as to who's going to, perhaps it maybe that, you know, are we looking too far ahead to say that that race for that second automatic spot is now between those two sides, the England with these results, perhaps maybe getting ahead of ourselves there. But for Ukraine in that battle, that would have been a very good result for them picking up a point at when it's a kind of start there. I mean, and they've, and they've got the ability to kind of, you know, players like, Mikhailo Mutrik in the pace that they've got, they could have very you know, easily hit England on the counter as well. But when it comes to playing against those you know, more defensive-minded sides, and England are going to face it with Morton probably against North Macedonia too in the summer. But they need to work out a lot quicker that passing the ball quickly and moving the ball quickly like they did eventually against Ukraine on Sunday and scored the two goals as a result of it is the way to break these sides down. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think I think it is a it is a sort of growing trend and and something that England need to sort out because, you know, um for the success that 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 we've had over the over the years, there is that sort of sense that there is as I say, there is a little bit more to to be to be had. And you know, I, I, I'm not I'm certainly not in the anti Southgate camp what's I would, you know, I, I think he's done an amazing job and particularly the 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 way he transformed England from this quite poisonous sort of a sort of sense of dread that all the players used to have when they used to go to international duty. I think he's turned it into something that everyone enjoys and he's done a job that few managers I think could have could have done in taking us from where we were to where we are now. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's the right man to take us up another level. And, uh, you know, as you were saying about breaking teams down who are, who are just going to sit back and, and, and hold on for a point, there is a sense that a manager with, let's say, more sort of tactical flexibility or even just kind of tactical, in, tactical now's tactical intricacy would be able to break those team those teams down easier and and you know Southgate is a defensive coach as you said there's an argument to say defensive football wins wins you know is is, is good for international football wins your cup competitions but I feel like England need need a little bit more and and you know we we definitely have one of the strongest squads in Europe at the moment and you know it, that hasn't been the case for a long time so I think that it, it, we would feel silly having not taken advantage of it and you know I know that we've. It's Southgate's going to stay on until uh, until the Euros, so it's not as if he's committed for the next ten years or anything. But um, I would like to see us try a little bit more and go, you know, hire somebody a bit more adventurous and, and actually go for something at some point. But um, yeah, for now, I think Southgate, as long as as long as he recognises that there might be a little bit of sense to put more onus on on breaking teams down, I think that will that will serving them well. I had a strange feeling at Deja Vu there where we were talking about you know, kind of managers and reaching their ceilings and taking teams on to the next level. And I was like, we spoke about that about 15 minutes ago when it came to Tottenham as well. So maybe maybe Gareth Southgate might be the man for Tottenham. Maybe maybe he isn't. Maybe that's what we're saying. That he may, might have taken Tottenham to a, to a ceiling as well. <laughs> In my head, I was thinking, do you know what? I'm, when, when you mentioned it with, with, with Pochettino, I thought, I'm going to link this to Southgate and I forgot to do it. But thank you for doing that. Yeah, and no, I do think uh, there is a sense of, you know, you bring, yeah, as I say, you you, you can you can do an amazing job and that, and that, and that can mean something brilliant and no, nothing can, nothing can sort of take that away, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're the right man to, and you know, there is a sense of fantastic. You've done a great job, but we're going to try something else now. So 
you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I had a mate as well. This is really going off topic now, but I had a mate at university who was, um, you know, dating a girl and they seemed like a lovely match, but he wasn't really that keen. Like, he wasn't keen kind of taking it long term with her because he was like, yeah, you know, she's like 95% of the way there, but she's not that extra 5%. And in that hope of finding that extra 5%, he, he wasn't keen to kind of commit to her that much. Bless him. Um, and that's the kind of, that's what I've always had with like kind of football managers there as well. Like kind of, they'll get you 95% of the way, but it's just that extra 5%. And you kind of, 95% is good. A lot of people will settle for 95%. I'm not saying I did if my wife is watching, I'm getting myself in a lot of trouble and digging a lot of holes right now. A lot of people do. Um, but it's just that whether or not that extra 5% comes with it. Um, getting onto safer conversation topics for myself that isn't going to land me in hot water and perhaps in the spare bedroom for the next week. Um, Harry Kane, getting the England record finally. Um, and I suppose for him, you know, not so notwithstanding the fact that it was a parity, obviously that's going to help him, you know, and kind of move past what happened in the World Cup. But for him to do it in the first game back for England after the World Cup exit, after how it unfolded, after the fact that he missed the penalty that would have been the record then and perhaps taken the game to extra time, that he's done it in that next game for England. You know, I'm not saying that he would have held it forever with him on his shoulders and never scored again for England, but it just shakes it off nice and easily, doesn't it? It does. And I think it kind of proves what we've sort of been learning for the last few years, which is that Harry Kane is a mentality monster. I mean, I know he, I mean, he would have come under a hell of a lot of criticism being the face of England's defeat in the World Cup, but you know, you, 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 no one can deny his talent. No one can deny his sort of mental resolve. And, and as you say, that was a sort of cathartically perfect way to, to break the record in many ways. Um, and what an achievement, you know, 29, he said he's still got, he, he, you can imagine he's, he's still going to have a hell of a lot of years ahead of him. Who knows how far he could, how far he could take the record. And, and, you know, he fully, fully deserves it. He's transformed himself into arguably one, arguably the, the most complete striker in, in, in the world, certainly up there with, uh, you know, the likes of Benzema and Lewandowski, whoever else you want to put up there. But there's an argument to say that he's developed his game in such a way that I can't remember many players sort of taking themselves on, you know, he's almost a, almost a midfielder now is every touch he takes is, 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 is the sort of, you know, the, the right touch. Every pass he makes is the right pass. Every pass he makes is perfectly weighted. Uh, yeah. So I'm a big fan of Kane. I'm very pleased for him. And I, you know, I think he's, and he's a perfect sort of record holder for England to be, to be at the top. I'm very sort of pleased for him. And another player who's had a good international winner for England is Bukayo Saka as well. And he's really growing into such a crucial integral role for England now, isn't he, Harry? I think, you know, the goal that he scored and the way that he scored it, you know, showcases the talent that he has, but Harry Kane's not going to be around forever. Bukayo Saka's only 21. You know, I'm not saying that he's going to take the mantle on from him. There could be other players that come through, but it does look like where that is progression and, and where England need that progression coming through. You know, you look at Kyle Walker and Kim Trippi and others and Jordan Henderson as well, that when this old guard start getting phased out a little bit more, and I know it sounds weird to say Harry Kane's part of the old guard, he's still only 29, he's 30 in June, but when it kind of gets to that point, that there are good, talented young players like Saka already stepping up. So that isn't a case of we need you to step up now. It's they've already got that experience when it gets there. And the the kind of the way that he's been playing for England since the World Cup and, and through the World Cup, sorry, and and, and obviously carried out on this window, he is just something else, isn't it? Some absolute talent. He really is. Uh, you know, obviously with with the way that Arsenal are playing this season, that you know he's gonna he's you'd expect him to carry that sort of momentum in, into his England full. But I know I will credit Saka. I, I think since he's made his England debut, he's one of the few players who who consistently puts puts in good performances. I've been really impressed. I, I will, will admit that when he first broke through at Arsenal, I didn't quite see the hype. But I always said, when he plays for England, he looks unbelievable. And I think now we're obviously seeing the kind of fruits of of certainly what Arsenal fans have been have been 
been seeing for 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 how long and he looks up he looks a hell of a special player and yeah that the goal against ukraine just exemplified the confidence you know the ability that he has and he is as you say going to be a special player for for club and country for for a long time and and and, and it's a good point it is important to think like we've got a hell of a lot of talented players but you know we we do need them to sort of start performing for for England and it is it is good to see you know when you when you sort of think right we can probably rely on Saka for the next 10 years that's a that's a a, a good sign because uh, as you say once once Kane goes and we haven't there isn't a natural goal scoring replacement for him in the in you know and anywhere really uh so i think it will be important for you know if, if we sort of can rely on Saka for you know five five or six international goals every year that'll be that'll come in handy and others as well, you look at Jude Bellingham in the age that he's got, Declan Rice isn't exactly over the hill just yet, whereas he's 24 or 25 as well. It really looks like that there is a uh, a kind of strong progression line for England. And then perhaps as well, maybe we are getting a bit too, too ahead of ourselves here, but the uh, the 4-0 victory for the under-21s as well. So it's not just the, the kids that are in the senior team that perform well, but obviously beating France so comprehensively. Um, France, you know, beaten World Cup finalists only a matter of months ago to, to beat their next generation and of course there are one or two young French stars that are already in the uh, in the senior team namely Mr Killian Mbappe who I'm sure the, the under-21s would still love to have but of course he's now captain in the French side instead um, but that's still a good you know a good sign that you know we say that, that you know you're kind of looking for these youngsters to come through to be beating what France have on paper and yes it's very different when you get to senior level I get that but it, it's a nice sign of progression that there is still you know, these guys that are waiting to come through, waiting for their chance at a senior team that, that can still perform against their uh, their peers very, very well. Completely. It, it, you know, demonstrates the health that, that English football finds itself in at the moment. And, you know, you know on France, I mean, they, they have, for the last 10 years, they have had, well, certainly the last five or six years, they have had unbelievable amounts of good young players coming through. And obviously, the, you know, we're seeing that in the squads that they have now. But you can sort of guarantee that being, being a France under-21s team is a heck of an achievement, especially if you're doing a 4-0. So, yeah, that is a, that is a really good sign and that, you know, the future does look does look really bright for England, which is which is great. Harry, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. As always, of course, you can keep up to date with the latest football news across the Mirror, the Star and the Express websites, which of course will include the latest on Tottenham search for a new manager. Hopefully on my point, it's going to be lots and lots of stories about how Julian Narcosman is eyeing up apartments in London. Um, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But for now, it's goodbye.